What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as usual. How you doing, Rich? I'm doing well, man. I'm excited to continue the season previews, and we are on uh, Chicago today. So we got Salim from the Bulls Gold Podcast. And how are you doing today, Salim? I'm good, man. I'm excited. I think appreciate you guys reaching out and inviting me on. Uh, it's always fun trying to you know meet different people like that you would never connect with um, on on a regular basis. That you know, like I've never really you know had a connection with you guys before, and this is like a new connection we're building, and it's kind of fun. So it's always fun talking hoops with uh, you know other diehard, passionate hoop fans. Yeah, man. No doubt, and- man. We got recommended to come your way, was listening to your show a little bit, like we said, Bulls Gold. Uh, you guys do a great job of covering the team, everything that's going on. We were talking a little bit before we hit the record button and saying that these teams are really similar. But before we go too much into what happened in the off season and previewing next season, which will be our focus, what was your feelings on last year? There was a lot of ups and downs. I mean, it's still in this rebuilding phase. You got a young core but if similar to the Kings, you brought in a guy in Otto Porter, like the, who was linked to the Kings, Harrison Barnes ended up coming instead, but finished with a 22 and 60 record. In general, what were your feelings on the 2018 uh, 19 season for Chicago? Yeah, it was a disappointing season um, for a couple of reasons. First off, when this season started out, uh, there were. Injuries has always been an issue with the Bulls for the past, I think since Derrick Rose got injured, I would say. And even a little before that time, we were dealing with different ins and outs of uh, keeping players healthy. Uh, and some injuries, you know, you can't really fault um, anything on the t- organization as a whole because fluke injuries happen. Uh, but I've, I've always felt like the Bulls, um, training staff, medical staff, strength and conditioning staff has never been really the best uh they've had some really weird uh situations happen i don't know if you guys remember luol dang situation uh the first time they diagnosed his uh this is this uh, years back uh they had diagnosed his uh leg where he was they said he was healthy and he just didn't feel uh right by that diagnosis so he went to his own personal guy um and found out yeah he did have a fracture and They've had other situations where, uh, Derek Rose, you know, in and out of the lineup where there are times that he should not absolutely been playing, whether it was the medical staff condition, uh, telling them that they should, he should play or, uh, it was, you know, Tom Thibodeau or the front office. Uh, they never stepped in really to make sure, like, you know, to protect him and, and, and make sure he sat out. And then last year, I was just kind of fast forward. I mean, the other situations, they mixed diagnose uh, Larry Markinen's injury and training camp. First, they said it was going to be a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden, you find out that he needs to get surgery. He was going to be out for like two months, um, things like that. And then, like throughout the season, they've had injury issues. So that's one frustrating part. The other frustrating part, as was uh, the coaching situation. Now, I'm not. I was never the biggest Fred Hoiberg fan. But it just didn't make sense to fire him at the time that they fired him. And then when they switched him up, switched him up and brought in, uh, Jim, put Jim Bullen in charge, they kind of didn't put the interim tag in. And obviously you guys saw the, uh, fiasco that happened where he lost the team right up, right off the bat. He had, uh, confrontation where the Bulls players started a mutiny essentially. 
And, you know, there was like that whole scenario with the, the players committee, leadership committee. It was a circus, basically. It's kind of been a circus in Chicago one way or another, probably for the past five years or so. Uh, give or take, you know, there's different situations with, uh, fighting with coaching, fighting with certain players, the management not getting along with coaching and players. But yeah, so those two things were frustrating as is. And I think that kind of led to, uh, the record being not what players, uh, fans expected, I should say. Not only the players, but the fans expected because I think there's a certain amount of players, uh, fans expected the Bulls to maybe try to compete for the bottom of the bottom two, maybe eight seed at, at most, uh, as far as because of the East, they didn't, people didn't see the East being that competitive overall and that bottom air, uh, in the bottom part of the, uh, seeding. So, you know, people thought they had to be a little more competitive. You'll see better development and we really didn't see any of that because, like I said, the players were in and out of the lineup. They were playing a lot. And on top of that, they were playing a lot of bad players like Cristiano Felicio, Cameron Payne, guys that just don't even belong in the NBA. Um, and that was just like a, it seemed like kind of like a bad year. And then when they, obviously where they ended up again with the draft pick, when you were trying to tank again, and obviously the lottery system changing didn't help, but you obviously end up with the seventh pick again. Like that's like three years in a row where you end up with the seventh pick. So you weren't able to, you know, get involved in the, in the Jean Morant or Zion Williamson, uh, sweepstakes. So yeah, that's kind of, uh, was my, I think the feeling overall with the team frustrations with injury, the coaching situation, and then not, you know, ending up with the right pick that, you know, we could get a real franchise uh, potential talent in the draft. Definitely can understand the frustration. Uh, I think there's probably a little bit of optimism as well, or I would think with a lot of the young players around, but, you know, Brennan mentioned it and I'm sure we'll go into it more as the podcast goes on, but these, the teams that we both cover are pretty similar in my opinion, the Chicago Bulls and the Kings, you know, you mentioned the recent coaching turnover that they have in common, uh, some, some significant questions about the GMs and ownership groups that have, that have, you know, I would say, I I don't want to say that, that the Kings are maybe as quite as criticized, but, they definitely feel like they're more criticized than both, both groups. So I don't know. I, I'm looking at these teams as kind of on a similar general, general path, but the Bulls may be behind them by a year or two in terms of the timeline. But there are a lot of young, exciting players in this team. And, and looking back on last season again, what were the, what were the high points or what would, what would you take away to be optimistic about from that, that last season? Yeah. And, and I shouldn't say I'm, it was, they, they were definitely, I agree, bright spots there are bright spots on the team um even though they did end up with the seventh pick kind of three years in a row they i feel like they did well uh for where they got because they got larry market and I'm, granted that was not necessarily they didn't end up at the seventh pick on their own in that draft it was a trade for jimmy butler where they got uh, zach levine chris dunn and then the seventh pick where they swapped the 16th pick and Jimmy for all those three um, assets, if you will. Um, but I think they did the, that, that was the, the best pick, um, the best player at the seventh spot. And I think if we're probably reevaluating that draft, I would say Laurie's probably a top four or five player, uh, maybe even arguably even top three player in that draft uh, when it's said and done. Uh, and then I think even last year's draft where they ended up with Wendell Carter Jr., I'm personally pretty high. And I know Edward, uh, my co-host, uh, is high as well. Um, and there's other play, uh, people in the Bulls, uh, that cover the Bulls that, you know, either, uh, cover the Bulls or have a, you know, podcast about the Bulls. I think they're pretty high on Wendell as well, just simply because of his impact defensively. And I think you probably see uh, overall as a two-way player, he probably has the best, uh, highest upside on the Bulls overall as I feel like his defensively he could be an all NBA caliber defender. Um and then offensively he has a potential to be kind of a guy like a, a stretch big. Um he's pretty good in the uh uh pick and pop, pick and roll uh game. So uh there's definitely room to grow. And then I think Kobe White was a good draft selection for this year. Uh so 
Yeah, definitely bright spots. Laurie showed some promise. Zach, I think to me, someone that I wasn't super excited that they matched that contract last offseason. But I think uh, while he has his weaknesses defensively and sometimes with decision making, he showed a lot of growth uh, as the year went on. And he's kind of like one of these players that, where it gets underrated to an extent with his offensive ability, while people like to point out his shortcomings with defensively uh, and, and, and things like that, uh, people short sell him offensively. He's one of those rare offensive talents where he's naturally gifted scorer that I think people underrate. So yeah, those couple of things, um, definitely bright spots uh, to, to look at for this team as well. Yeah. And I think we'll dive into each of the guys a little bit more here because the young core is obviously what we are riding with moving forward. But like I mentioned before, um, Otto Porter was a guy that the Kings were very much linked to with that big gaping hole at the small forward position. And obviously Chicago was the same way. I think Rich and I agree that Otto Porter is a better player than Harrison Barnes. And he seemed to fit great. It seemed like Chicago really liked having him. He plays both sides of the ball really well. It's fine to have that money in him because you have time until you need to give the young guys the money. The same thing going on with Sacramento. But how did you feel about having Otto Porter moving forward, filling that three spot? Yeah, I was, we were, I think on the podcast, we're pretty happy about that trade. Um, one thing I've always been worried about with the front office is they're not very proactive. They're kind of reactive. And I like the fact that they didn't just go in this offseason thinking that they could just get any big name free agent because it just didn't seem like that was the time, this time in their period of the rebuild where they could attract any big names. So when that trade happened, it was like, that was a great trade because obviously, again, while he's probably a little overpaid, I think we can all agree on that, but he is a very quality player, a two-way player, a high IQ player that I think he brought a lot of value to the, this team. Um, and especially when you, I think you saw how well he fit in with uh, Zach Levine and Larry Markinen, where adding a high IQ player, a quality two-way player like that, it only brought out the best in those two, uh, especially because throughout the season, again, like I said before, you know, they were playing with really just awful G League talent players that it kind of held back uh, their development as well. So, yeah, the, the auto port trade was great because, like I said, it added that high IQ player. Uh, and when you're a young team, you know, trying to develop this young core, uh, it's important to surround them with with players like that, that can, you know, bring out the best in their development. Yeah. And like you mentioned, there's that similarity of both teams picking up a small forward that really, really for change. I mean, what the Bulls sent to Washington for Porter in Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis really felt like it was, uh, it, it was not that much to give up, made a lot of sense. And then the other link that, that we kind of, uh, touched on was that that Zach Levine contract signed by the Bulls, that the sheet that they, they offered, the offer sheet that, that was matched there was submitted by the Kings. You mentioned that people probably underrate him, his offensive contributions. And I think I'm one of those people. I know that he really struggled uh, earlier in the year with efficiency, but looking back on the numbers from the second half of the year, he really showed out well, especially uh, field goal percentage wise, three point percentage wise, he was up to 40, almost 42% from three in the second half of the year. So I wonder looking forward, I'm trying to figure out how you would sort the pecking order here. Is this, is anyone emerged yet as this is the Bulls team? Yeah, I don't think anyone has necessarily. I think the, what the, the, what will be the best going forward for the uh, organization is Lowry breaking out and kind of taking that number one spot. Um, and Zach kind of, you know, settling in as a second option. Uh, but what holds back Lowry is not only consistency, but he's not really a guy that has a go-to move. And I, I personally always hate this comparison. So I'm not comparing the players. Uh, just kind of like in, in a sense of the, of the go-to number one guy. When you look at a guy like Dirk Nowitzki, uh, as a big scorer, 
Uh, obviously, he doesn't have handles and things like that, but he can kind of create for himself um, in that post where, you know, he has that Dirk fadeaway. He had that Dirk fadeaway. And as far as becoming that number one guy, because right now he's very much reliant on other people setting him up. Um, and that kind of can be a hindrance for him. One thing I'll give him credit for that he does kind of have, and he showed last year when they traded for Otto, is his ability to put the ball on the floor. And I think that's something he needs to work more consistently on uh, and being able to kind of, you know, uh, in that sense, create a shot for himself and maybe kind of set up uh, uh, his teammates. But probably that would be the ideal pecking order to set up eventually. And hopefully that's something we see next year where, you know, this this uh, Lowry becomes like that number one option. Zach comes in at number two. And then you kind of see, you know, other guys around them uh, developing with Wendell Carter and then maybe eventually Kobe White as well. Yeah, and you guys have decent shooting on the team. Uh, one of the things for me is, like you said, some of the guys can create their own shots, but I struggle to find guys that can create for others. Um, I think that Zach Levine, you're kind of hoping is becoming that, and especially drafting Kobe White. Obviously, the hole was at point guard. Uh, it made sense to go White. But he's more off ball and, you know, that works with Levine if you think that he has the potential to run the offense. But how, what did you see out of the passing mainly from Le- Levine last year? I think in the beginning of the season, it was something brand new to him um, as far as being a, a point guard and handling the offense. And again, that didn't help him when he, the fact that uh, that he was playing with such poor players around him where teams just kind of doubled and triple teamed him. And he, that's something that he wasn't used to. Uh, it's, you know, seeing that at from when he, when he crossed the half court, no one, you know, had any respect for guys like Shaq Harrison, um, Archie Diakono, who I like, uh, have a lot of like as a fan favorite because of, you know, he was kind of undrafted rookie and, you know, he's kind of fought his way into this league. I have respect for that. But again, he's, he's a third string point guard, um, at best. He's not someone that you rely on on an everyday basis. Um, and again, you know, like Cameron Payne, who was just not a very good player. Uh, yet obviously Cristiano Felicia, who's been a complete disaster of an extension when they extended him and other kind of, you know, uh, Justin Holiday, who is, Probably a fringe, you know, end of the bench guy, not someone that you really have that, you know, on an, that's an, on top of your, you know, top five uh, rotation uh, player. So, yeah, I think that he struggled in that. And when he, as the season went on, he did get better when the team got a little more healthier. Um, and then the addition of Otto Porter, I think playing again with a player that is a higher, smarter, more intelligent player that knows you know, what spots he needs to be at, uh, knows, you know, on the defensive end, what things, what to do better, a good communicator on the floor. I think that kind of brought out the best in Zach as far as his decision making and, and it made, and he showed improvement as the season went along. And that's something that you want to see next season to kind of carry on from that and maybe even improve as a little bit more in, in that regards. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. I think you've both been right to identify most of these players as offensive-minded. Uh, but as you mentioned earlier, Salim, uh, Wendell Carter has had uh, maybe that guy that, that can be the two-way presence this team needs to bring a little bit of defense uh, an anchor to the defense of this Bulls team. And I, too, am very high on him. I think that he's often mentioned as an afterthought compared to guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., Marvin Bagley, uh, and, uh, you know, even DeAndre Ayton at times, you know, those top five picks, as well as uh, Mo Bamba, who really, really struggled. Like, they, they, you know, these two players could have had more different of 
a year. Wendell Carter, I thought, showed like super high defensive IQ uh, and offensive as well. But his his understanding of the game as a defender seems really high, even in his rookie year. But uh, speaking on him, how high do you see the ceiling being for a player like Wendell Carter? I, I personally, I, I'm very high on him. Um, I've, like I said, I, I see him as an all NBA defensive player. I definitely see him as a guy that can be in the conversation to be a defensive player of the year, uh, recipient. Um, offensively, things that he gets underrated on is his passing. One thing that he, he's a, he's a very good passer for a 19 year old kid. Uh, I notice a lot of times the way he would see the court, his vision on the court, seeing, finding teammates. Uh, when he would get the offensive rebound, you know, he would have his eyes open and, and he would see, you know, teammates cutting to the basket or right away see the open teammate, uh, you know, for an open shot. He was very quick on making those type of, de- type of decisions. And I would love to see next season maybe have some offense run through him and kind of utilize that strength of his. Uh, again, and offensively, um, I think he was kind of held back last year with when Jim Boylan took over because he, he didn't let it, uh, Wendell take any threes. Uh, that was an issue for the Bulls offense as a whole. They didn't shoot a lot of threes. They weren't very efficient at it either. Not on top of that, but like I said, it just the volume wise, they didn't, they didn't take any uh, that many. There were games that the other, the other team made more threes than the Bulls attempted. Um, and, t- and in today's league, I'm sure as both you guys would know that. You're not going to win a lot of games. You're not going to have a very efficient offense when, when you have nights that, that happens. So the, in, in that regards, I, I think he was held back offensively. And then when he got injured right around that time, right before he got injured, he was trying to kind of put it, bring a momentum. Like I said, you know, he was showing some good promise in the pick and roll game, the pick and pop game. And another, and with his defense, he's one of those guys that can kind of, you know, help out when, on the on the pick and roll defensive end, where he can he he can guard the other team's uh, guard that uh, that uh, that's you know kind of going to the basket. He kind of showed that like he stayed in front of guys like James Harden. Uh, he stayed in front of guys like Russell Westbrook. He did a really good job of, in, in those regards. So for me, I'm personally I'm very high on his ability. I can at, at some point I can see him being where where, uh, where his on floor impact on both ends is probably the highest on the team. You know, and I actually forgot that, uh, he played next to Bagley at Duke and he was a very big reason why Bagley looked good on defense. I, not necessarily good. I mean, there were struggles, but he was able to, like, like we're mentioning, be the anchor. And I think there is a lot of potential there. Um, what interests me a little bit is that Laurie Markinen, he's definitely a stretch four, but being seven feet tall and really quick on basketball references has the nickname, the finisher with two ends. Cause he's Finnish. And I just think that's an amazing name. Um, <laughs> but do you see there, there being moments where you maybe try to play Markinen as a small ball five? Yeah, that is something that's in- intriguing to me. And because like we said, you know, at, at the four spot, he hasn't really shown an ability to to play out of post, kind of create for himself out of the post. And when he's he's able to get by, like when he played when he played center last year, uh, the only the only struggle with him at center is defensively, but offensively he showed an ability, to kind of you know, put the ball on the floor, get by the other opposing big, um, and either finish on his own or maybe kind of set up a, a teammate as he was driving to the basket. So, yeah, I could definitely see a scenario, but, I mean, it, it, it's tough to see because, like I said, his defensive shortcomings. Um, I don't necessarily need to see him become like a, a rim protector, but kind of be better at making reads on the defensive valve, you know, rotating over on the help side and maybe even just – he. What the other thing he really needs to do is strengthen his core. Um that he gets easily kind of pushed around uh, to the point where that becomes an, an issue for him to kind of you know hold his ground. So yeah, you can see a situation offensively where it, it works out well for him to be a five, but defensively is where the problem comes into play. And what then that comes into issue with Wendell is like where do you play him? Because I don't see him being a four in this league, Wendell. I think Wendell is a five. So. 
I think that's why they work well together because he covers up Lowry's weaknesses pretty well. And they have that kind of, not to say that I'm mean, eventually I see Wendell being a stretch player, uh, stretch big as well, but they kind of have the inside outside game, uh, pretty well, I think as a pairing. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I actually was looking at the wingspans for some of these guys because, uh, marketing is a seven footer, but doesn't, feel like one and then Wendell is only listed at 610 but feels much larger and I actually saw that marketing is listed with uh, a negative wingspan meaning that it's a little bit it's actually 611 is the wingspan on a seven foot guy and then Wendell is listed at seven foot five uh, his wingspan so maybe you know marketing's got a couple inches of height on him but Wendell's got a like a half foot uh, on him as far as wingspan, which can mean more, especially at that center position when you need the guy who is going to swat some shots. And, and he certainly showed an ability to do that this past year. But there's also another big guy, uh, probably more of a power forward than a center. Uh, and, and maybe not even, I, I was thinking about this as well. There's, there's not a lot of traditional wings on this roster, but you've got Lowry who can play the four and then Thaddeus Young who, I consider a four, and I also consider a very good player. Brennan and I were very high on him during our free agency breakdowns. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think signing him is a big deal. But what do you think that Thaddeus Young is going to bring to this team at three years, $41 million with a non-guarantee on that last year? I think uh, he brings a guy that's intelligent, an intelligent high IQ player. Um, that's the biggest uh, draw for me personally, because again, the Bulls lacked a lot of that coming off the bench, a guy that they can rely on to give them consistent minutes. Uh, last season, you know, they had a lot of, you know, weak, like I said, weak bench, weak, no one they could really rely on where they can get quality minutes from. So I think that in that regard, she brings a lot of quality play, uh, quality, quality looks for, uh, for different lineups too, where you can, Playing with Markinen as as in a small ball four situation, and then he can also move into the three and play with both Wendell and Lowry in, in certain situations. So yeah, overall, I really like the different looks and the leadership ability that he could bring uh, for the team, and especially for a young team that's you know trying to develop and and grow out grow together. Yeah, another guy that we were really big on during the offseason breakdowns we were doing. Sacramento was in need of a backup point guard. Sadoransky was one of our top three and the versatility that he brings being six, seven, uh, that makes up for maybe not being the greatest defender that really helps him out in that regards. What do you feel like he's going to bring to this roster? Maybe in regards to some playmaking and is there a chance that he's going to need to play the three with a little bit of lack of depth there? Yeah. So when I looked at Sadoransky, one thing that stood out to me last year when he started, um, he averaged, you know, 10 points per game, uh, six assists per game, uh, four rebounds, uh, and that was about 54 starts, uh, overall. His, his field goal percentage was 48% from the field and then 40.4 uh, from behind the arc. Uh, and his assisted turnover ratio, I think he was second in the league, uh, overall. And, and that's been a big issue with this team, with their point guards. And, and as obviously we've talked about Zach's, uh, handling, Zach Levine handling the ball. Um, Chris Dunn was uh, really a disaster in that regard as well, where he just kind of struggled with his uh, keeping, the, uh, not turning the ball over. And obviously Zach and Chris were just a terrible fit together. I think their on-off uh, averages are just awful overall. Uh, when they, whenever and any lineup that they play together, they just just a terrible fit together. So at at the point guard spot, I definitely see him as a starting point guard next year. Um, I see them bringing Kobe White along very slowly. They'll play him at point guard a little bit, but I, I think they'll, you'll see him play off the ball uh, more often uh, next season. But yeah, I see Sadoransky as, as our starting point guard. Um, as far as him playing at the three, um, I would be concerned and I, not, I just, it, it's hard for me to see that because he, I, I don't see him as a guy that can play the three in this, in the league for, for, because of defensive issues, I think, like I said, he like you get, like you said, he's not a bad defender. Um, he's a good team defender. I think it help, his length um, helps out on the perimeter as far as on at, at either the two or the one. But 
he's not a really a bulky guy, so it's hard for me to see him play um, at, at the three. And I don't know if he's quick enough to stay in with a lot of these other quicker, more athletic threes. So that's definitely a concern for that. I would say that's probably the biggest weakness on the Bulls overall, their perimeter play, because outside of Zach, um, as far as relying on him, giving you minutes, they have guys like, you know, Denzel Valentine and uh, last year they drafted Chandler Hutchison. Uh, while the Bulls front office, uh, you know, is going to try to give them a shot and, and probably is a little hopeful for them. You know, as a fan, I don't really know what to expect from those guys. And to be, if I'm being quite frank, a guy like Denzel Valentine, I expect nothing from him uh, after missing a whole season um, where he, the last time he played, I think it was like April uh, 2018 or something like that. I think that's not, he played actually competitively. Um, and he's had issues again with injury where he missed a full season. Chandler, um, defensively and as far as the open court uh, and athletically and things like that, he's very good, but offensively he's an issue because he has a very slow release on his shot. And overall his shooting is a, an issue in general. So yeah, for those two guys, I don't know what you expect from them, uh, for the, what they'll provide the team. So definitely the wing is the biggest issue. Maybe I can see Boylan trying to put play Sadaransky at the three spot, but it would be concerning to me because, like I said, I just um, outside of Otto Porter and Zach, um, you you don't know what you have in a lot of these other players. I'm going to bring this back to the Kings comparison because I really do feel like the roster composition is similar as well, especially of last year's Kings team where. You've got a, a lot of guys that make sense uh, as guards and a lot of guys that make sense as bigs and really, really nothing at the small forward position until, of course, each team went out and traded for their current starting small forward in Otto Porter and Harrison Barnes with the Kings. But I I do get the feeling that, you know, Sadaransky might be pigeonholed into the, the, sm- the small forward position or, or maybe that's not the right term, but you know, forced to play there sometimes, kind of in the similar way to how Bogdan Bogdanovich was was put there for the Kings, just because there wasn't any depth outside of that number one option. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I think there's actually a lot of, you know, we can we haven't mentioned Chris Dunn yet, I don't think, and it's somewhat understandable. He definitely has been through, you know, he's had a lot of struggles and especially on the offensive side of the ball. But it feels like with Kobe White and Chris Dunn and Tomas Sadaransky and Zach Levine, that there's enough guards there that you're kind of set going forward. But on that note, what do you see Chris Dunn's role being like next year? Because he does feel like the one guy that might be the odd man out here. Yeah, I definitely see him. He's definitely going to probably be the uh, odd man out. Um, if he's even even on the roster on uh, training on opening day, I should say. Um, at best, I see him, you know, maybe he'll be the backup point guard, uh, depending on what he does in training camp. But he should be definitely someone that plays uh, away from Zach Levine overall, because they, like, like I already said, they're just a terrible fit together. I can maybe see a scenario where him and uh, Kobe White play off a lot together, where Kobe plays off the ball and Chris kind of, you know, runs the second unit with uh, other guys like uh, if Valentine is healthy, uh, Hutchison, if he's healthy again, and, and playing with Thaddeus Young and stuff like that. But overall, I, I'm just I'm not sure what to expect from him because, like I said, defensively he was kind of a letdown last year um, overall. He didn't really – he. He, you know, he prides himself on his defense, but there was a often times last year where he just kind of got, you know, out, outplayed, uh, by a lot of players where, uh, other, other, t- the other teams, uh, point guards or whatever, uh, just kind of took advantage of him. And he kind of got lazy on the defensive end where kind of started gambling, doing this silly, like, instead of just staying in front of his guy, he would kind of do a kind of this reach around where you try to poke the ball out and, it wouldn't work out, and then he would leave his, you know, uh, the front court in a in a disadvantage uh, because obviously he would let the you know the guard get by, and the defense defense would break down like in that regards. So yeah, I, I honestly don't know, and I don't know what what 
value he brings to the long term in this league either because if, if he can't figure out how to play off the ball, because on the ball, he's a very inefficient offensive player as is. He's kind of those guys that sticks in that mid-range area. He doesn't have a three-point shot, and he can't really finish at the rim, That which is one of the more perplexing things about his game because he's pretty athletic and he's long uh, guard, and you would think he'd be better at finishing at the rim, but he's not. Um, his percentages are low overall, and uh, if you take a look at those as well. So, yeah, as far as offensively, I don't, I really don't know what what value he brings if he doesn't improve his three point shooting and learn, like I said, learn to play off the ball and and just you know contribute in other ways. Yeah, and if you're going to be one-dimensional, you really need to be elite in that one aspect. And like you're saying, if if the defense is lacking a little bit from Chris Dunn, what are you really getting? And if you can't shoot the ball or necessarily score, at least being able to pass from that point guard position. But again, I mean, he doesn't really uh, create for others very well. I, I'm curious about the point guard that you brought in that seems like obviously is going to be your point guard of the future, even though, like we mentioned, Zach Levine might carry more of the ball handling duties. You mentioned that you think Saturansky is going to be your starting guy day one. And I understand that. I think Saturansky is clearly the better player right now. But do you think that it would make sense to just let Kobe White get as much opportunity as possible? Because you know, maybe there's a chance that Chicago ends up fighting for a 7-8 seed in the East with the way that the East is. I think that there's a chance some of the guys step up and maybe that's a possibility. But is it worth making that a couple more wins starting Sadoransky or would it be better to give White more run and progress into what he's eventually going to become? Yeah, I, I just don't like the idea of kind of throwing him under the fire. Um, I don't know if that would be good for his development and not letting him compete and earn those minutes. And I think that's one of the issues that happened with Chris because he didn't really, uh, Chris done that is, and because he, he didn't really have, uh, he was kind of handed that point guard position and he didn't have to really earn those minutes. And I think maybe that kind of got him comfortable because there were reports last offseason that the Bulls front office were concerned with his um, work ethic. And then this past season, you kind of heard some weird quotes from him saying, well, he didn't know he was going to have to play off the ball and he didn't know the things that he had to work on in his game. He just made really poor excuses. Um, and it's got to just like a really like in today's league, a guard doesn't need to be told that you need to learn how to shoot. Um, so that was just like a really like a really lousy excuse uh, overall for him to make. So I think I, I would like to see them bring Kobe along slowly. And I think they will because they want to win next season. Uh, they want to make the playoffs, whether it's because, you know, their fans are getting unrest um, as far as this rebuild. They're kind of, you know, not only that, but again, uh, it, this might be a silly reason, but, the Bulls are hosting the All-Star uh, game next season. Um, and I think they want to have a better team, so maybe they can get a couple All-Stars on the roster for Chicago to have. Uh, so I think that's kind of the front office's focus. And I'm not saying that's a good, necessarily a good strategy for that reason, but I think as just as a player development aspect, I, I'd rather see them bring it out and have him learn uh, play behind some of these guys that probably have a little more experience like Sadoransky. You could probably learn something from him. Um, even he could even learn a lot from Ryan Archiakono as far as, uh, you know, knowing where to be on in the offense and even a multi ball handler offense, uh, which I think that we'll see more of last next season, uh, because obviously they don't have a pure point guard. Uh, that can uh, kind of handle the ball full time, and I think in today's league, that's kind of an overrated position too, if you will, the pure point guard. Um, there's not a lot of pure point guards in this league, and I think it's all about the offensive system you put in. And I think the guy they brought in, Chris Fleming, who has kind of the an uh, offensive mindset. He's kind of a mastermind with what the Nets did, with what the Denver Nuggets did with their offense. Um, so if you're going to put a good system in place, uh, get enough guys to know what they're doing that play the right way, make the right pass, I think the offense will run fine. And I think you let 
Kobe kind of, you know, learn in that environment, learn, bring him on slowly. Don't kind of put him in the spotlight where you set him up to fail. So I think, yeah, I like the idea of bringing him along slowly as is and letting him earn those minutes. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Yeah, everything that you just said makes a lot of sense. I think that I would probably be tempted to start Kobe White just because in, you know, in my mind, uh, I think there's probably some, some merit to just kind of tanking right away, uh, and just being like, Hey, this isn't, you know, we don't need to try for the eighth seed yet, but I, I, I don't have the, the need to, perform well and keep my job and, and sell tickets and do all the, all those things that come with winning. So what you're, what you're saying makes perfect sense. Um, I also think Sadoransky would be interesting to see uh, coming off the bench as kind of a six man type of guy, but I also see, I definitely see the logic in, in starting him at point guard, but, uh, you know, we've talked a good amount about Kobe White. I wanted to mention the other draft pick that the Bulls selected in Daniel Gafford because he was a guy that we had looked at very hard at pick 40 where the Kings drafted and he got snapped up two picks earlier. But what do you see in, in Daniel Gafford? Yeah. You know, before the draft happened, I didn't really know a lot about it. Cause I personally, I don't, I don't know a lot about second round draft picks. I don't, it's hard for me to you know keep track of so many of these names. Um, I know we did, we did some uh, episodes where we had other, uh, draft experts on that, you know, kind of, you know, covered the different players that were in that area. But when the Bulls drafted him, you know, I automatically, I kind of just, the f- easy thing I did was look up highlights on him. And here's a quick tip to get interested in the, the second rounders. Don't have a first round pick like the Kings did. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's, that, that, I'm sure that does help a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> don't recommend no, but yeah, that strategy. so, you know, I was, I was, I looked up his highlights and right off the bat, you see a really super athletic player, uh, for his size, uh, someone that big. He runs the floor. Uh, we kind of call it like a gazelle, uh, if you will. Um, his ability to kind of, you know, finish, um, at the rim, you know, he kind of showed like the stuff that he did, like a windmill dunk and things like that. You don't really see a lot of bigs do finish like that. Um, even, even in today's league where they're able to kind of finish like wings and guards at the rim. Um, so yeah, you know, I, he brings that regards the energy, athleticism, defense. Um, personally, again, like I said, I, I see the Bulls trying to win next year. So I don't know how much he'll be in the rotation. Uh, I expect him to also kind of earn his minutes. Uh, and even more so because I think the Bulls overall, if again, if health is there, they'll, they have a lot more front court players as is. Uh, with guys like Wendell Carter Jr., uh, Larry Markinen, uh, even the Luke Cornett, I'm sure who we'll talk about eventually, uh, that signing that we made. But, uh, you added him, um, you add obviously Thaddeus Young, who can kind of play that four a little bit. Uh, so I kind of see him maybe slowly starting out in the, in the Bulls G League, cause the Bulls do have their own team, uh, which is the Windy City Bulls. Um, so I can probably see him getting some minutes down there and kind of slowly kind of building him up and eventually bring him in next season at some point and, and give him a, a few minutes to try to see what he can provide. But yeah, you know, I, I'm excited about him and he's a kind of one of those guys that kind of shows you, um, you know, people were talking about the Bulls taking guys like Jackson Hayes and stuff like that in the first round. Uh, with their first pick, but it kind of gives you an idea. It's like, you know, you can always find those really long athletic bigs uh, later in the draft uh, where you probably don't want to waste a pick in a top, especially a top 10 pick um, on a big like that. Yeah, I totally get where you're coming from with that. It's the same way in free agency a lot. That's why a lot of these point guards specifically get a lot of money. There's just less of them on the market, but you can get a big to do everything that you need, especially in modern NBA. Um, we kind of talked before we got on, I felt like one of the big differences between 
this Sacramento and Chicago team. The the young core feels close. I mean, I think we all agreed we like Sacramento's a little bit better, but one of the big things for me was the identity with Sacramento and that all revolving around Fox being the pace. And pace feels like something that I think Chicago could do well, um, especially with the addition of Kobe White. I think that White Mar- uh, White, Levine, and Otto Porter all would work well running and maybe Laurie Markinen, uh, and Carter are a little bit slower, but I think they'd be capable, uh, for a team that was, what was it, 19th in pace last year. Do you think they'll pick it up a little bit more with White on the floor? Yeah, that was one of the more frustrating things last season after Hoiberg was let go for whatever reason, uh, Jim Boylan, kind of had them playing at a snail's pace. Um, there would be times where they, you know, they would get a defensive stop, uh, and there would be an opportunity to go on the break. He would deliberately let, tell guys to slow down and trot the ball up the floor, uh, to the point where, you know, you, you, you would take up to almost the full eight seconds to get off over to the half court, uh, over to the other half of the court. Uh, it was very perplexing and that was one of the big concerns. And then, Miraculously, when Otto Porter, uh, we traded for him, we started playing quicker and we started playing, you know, with, with better ball moving. And again, that was that multi-ball handler offense. Uh, we, they started pushing the pace more. The offense looked better. Everything started, you know, clicking a little, a little bit more. So yeah, that's next season. You definitely want to see them from the get go play with much more speed, especially using a guy like Kobe White. Uh, when you see him in the open court, he's not, he's not a half court player. And that's something he'll have to learn, um, and develop in his game eventually. But even guys like Zach and stuff, he, as he got better in playing in the half court, but you, obviously his strength is in the full court. And even, uh, Laurie and Wendell, while they're, uh, you know, obviously they're not perimeter players, but they're guys that are bigs that can really get out in the open court and, and probably could do more damage in, in, in an offense like that. So yeah, definitely. That's something that needs to be a focal point next season is making sure that, you know, these guys, uh, the offenses, they push the ball a lot more, um, and, you know, get out on the break and, and they don't hinder, uh, the players and make them try to, you know, like run kind of like this slower paced offense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I, I do worry about Boylan a little bit. Obviously, as you mentioned, the the whole, you know, losing the locker room so early on, um, maybe a little bit too hardcore with practices. And I think practicing uh, every day, even with games in between, I'm not sure exactly what the scenario was. I think it was something like uh, a, a back-to-back with a practice following it or, or something like that. But what level of concern do you have about the coaching staff and uh, and about management and ownership going forward. So with coaching, um, right uh, right away, I was I wanted them to fire Jim Bowen and look for somebody else. Um, the issue with him was obviously when they didn't make him the interim coach, um, they just made him the head coach. So it was it was hard to look for another coach because you can't look for another coach while you have a head coach already. So the only thing they could have done is fired him, which was that's why I thought it was a mistake. They, they kind of put themselves in a situation where, whether it was either fire Boylan or extend him. Um, I would have preferred they fired him and, and did a real good, uh, coaching search. I actually liked, uh, uh, your former coach that you guys recently got rid of as Jaeger. Um, I liked his ability. Probably he would have been a good guy to look at, but you know, they extended him and while I was concerned with his extension, I felt a little less nervous with the additions they made on the bench because I, like, I've already bought up Chris Fleming as a guy they added. Uh, Roy Rogers is another guy and the Bulls finally, for whatever reason, they never had a big man's coach. Um, and this is the first time that they really had someone that can really work with the bigs and, and help develop them. Um, and overall, the two coaches they've added, um, the last time they had actually quality assistance on the bench was under Tom Thibodeau. Uh, outside of that, they've had, and no disrespect to these guys. Um, I'm sure they 
uh, you know, they work hard and whatever, but they had guys like Randy Brown and, and Pete Myers who were part of the Bulls organizations, uh, during like the, uh, 90s dynasty years, uh, that, you know, there was no indication of any value that they brought as far as player development and things like that. So it was kind of wasting, you know, uh, seats on the bench. So I think I feel a little less nervous about Borland simply because of the, guys they've added to his bench and I feel like he Borland's one of those guys will that will allow uh, a guy like Chris Fleming and, and Roy Rogers to you know especially with Chris Fleming to take charge of the offense and play the play the right way uh, as far as the front office um, I think people are as a Bulls fans that holds are so pretty split on them um, you know I like some of the things they've done uh, in the recent years uh, as a whole I'm pretty you know Gar Foreman is someone that I don't like at all uh, but he's kind of become almost a glorified scout at this point because he's not very much involved. Um, and a lot of these moves that are happening in the last three years, um, the two years but prior to that, it was kind of a lot of Gar Foreman moves uh, that the Bulls were doing. And that's why you saw them add a lot of guys that uh, played on one side of the ball. They didn't have a lot of you know value overall. Uh, it was like a specific type of player that he, he was targeting for whatever reason. Um, he's the one who bought on Fred Hoiberg, um, a coach that, you know, that was very, um, non-fiery, if you will. He was, he, he didn't have a lot, he didn't show a lot of passion. Uh, this idea that, you know, just play fast pace without any rhyme or reason. Obviously, we've talked about pace being important, but, you know, there is, it has to be, uh, a rhyme or reason the way you're playing offensively. You can't just be, uh, just the idea can't just be just run up the court and take a quick shot. Um, and that's something that they started doing other, uh, Hoiberg that became an issue. But the last three years of Paxson has kind of taken back over and he's made a lot of vintage John Paxson moves with draft personnel, free agent signings, the coach, um, Jim Boylan is a very John Paxson type of coach that hard nosed, uh, eccentric type of, you know, defensive minded coach. Uh, he kind of honestly, I, I compare him to a kind of a goofy version of Scott Skiles. Um, I don't like, I wouldn't even really compare him to Tom Thibodeau because I think Tom Thibodeau had more, uh, of a pedigree. But like I said, yeah, like a goofy version of a Scott Skiles. If you guys remember back where Scott Skiles is that kind of a hard nosed defensive minded coach. So with, with the front office, you know, I still, I, I have concerns because I think. At, at best, still John Passon will build a team that you know kind of can get into the second round, and that's about it. I don't know what he'll do because right now I don't think this roster has a guy that could be a superstar. Um, and when it comes time to either sign a superstar in free agency or trade for a superstar, I don't know if Pax will pull the trigger or he'll be able to land that big name player. So. For me personally, I see the ceiling for this team as, like I said, a second round team. So my concern with this front office is about the same as it has been for the past 15 years is I think John Paxton to me is probably a, at best a mediocre front office guy. He's not bad, like I said, but I mean, he's not someone that's going to really build you a championship roster. Yeah. Yeah. At very yeah. least there's a direction now and that's obviously nice to have, uh, we talked about it a little bit. There's a lot of similarities there in Sacramento. Uh, just starting to get a little bit more faith because things are finally looking up. One question I like to ask a lot is, you know, each fan base has something going into the season, maybe a few things from certain players that you're watching for and hoping that a progression happens. Uh, for Sacramento, a couple examples are hoping Harry Giles can step out to the three-point line, start hitting that shot, uh, Buddy Heald's finishing around the rim. Is there anything that you are going to be keeping an eye on and hoping to see progression in this year? Uh, progression-wise, yeah. I, I, a couple of things that I want to see is uh, Zach continue to improve his ability to you know, kind of run the offense, uh, be smarter on his decision-making. Um, ideally... They do better with watching guys' minutes, not necessarily minutes, but just seeing how conditioning-wise and things like that the team plays on. Uh, don't push them too hard. Like you kind of brought up that situation that they had last year where Boylan had them practicing um, after like three games and four nights, had them they were doing like sprints in practice um, after playing three games and four nights, having them do things like army push-ups. 
uh, just kind of meatball things that I think affected a guy like Lowry later on because he kind of his body kind of broke down on him. Um, he actually had to uh, sit out, and it wasn't only for tanking purposes. He generally was. He was a, uh, he was diagnosed with like exhaustion. Essentially, that's why he was super fatigued and. They had to sit him out, and and for the rest of the season, uh, you had Zach's knee kind of flare up a little bit. Issues where they had to pull him because of that. Um, different situations like this. I think I would like to see them, you know, improve uh, as throughout the season and and be smarter with how they're uh, utilizing these guys. And and I think that alone will help the injury issues. Um, and then obviously with more consistency from guys like, uh, Larry and Wendell and seeing them, uh, progress in their development, you know, Larry kind of maybe see if he can be, develop a go-to move, uh, out of the post. He's kind of been working on supposedly a move that he's not really, you know, done in games yet, but hopefully that's something he kind of shows next season. Um, and then with, with Wendell just being more aggressive on the offensive end and hopefully Boylan allows him to shoot more threes, uh, just in general. Uh, he showed good promise as far as, like I said, a, as a pick and roll and pick and pop player, but it kind of, he was kind of very passive. So we'll see. And I think another intriguing thing with him is I see him being the, like a kind of like a future leader of this team. Um, he's a very bright kid overall. So I'd like to see see how vocal he gets next season as well. Maybe as he feels more comfortable not being a rookie anymore, maybe he kind of tries to be a, a more of a leader for this uh, for this young group going forward. Um, and then again, a guy like Otto Porter, I'm excited to see because when they traded for him, well, the biggest criticism in his career so far has been his, his aggressiveness as well. Um, I think you know guys like Bradley Beal. There's quotes for him that they would yell at him for not shooting the ball more. Uh, Paul Pierce, I remember one time said, uh, Otto doesn't know how good he is because he's very like laid back. He doesn't, he's not as aggressive. And that, when they got him last year, it was really weird to see how, uh, how he was, he was more vocal. Probably he felt more comfortable being, being vocal because he was playing with a bunch of younger players that, and experienced players. So he probably felt like, you know, a more of an elder statesman that he can take that charge. So it'll be interesting to see if he can continue that aggressiveness and, and continue to be aggressive and, and really, you know, pick up for where he left off last season. So we got one more question before, uh, before we get into predicting the record for next year. But, and, you know, you've kind of answered this a little bit, at least as far as the guard stuff. Uh, we want to try to figure out who you think is going to be starting at the beginning of the year. Uh, and maybe who's the sixth and seventh man as well. But it sounds like you you would think that Sadoransky is going to be a point guard, Levine uh, at the two, Porter at the three. And then the question, I guess, becomes with Thaddeus Young's fit with Lowry and Wendell, you know, who who's going to be the guy coming off the bench? Uh, what's the front court pairing going to be there, you think? Oh, it's definitely, Thaddeus Young is definitely coming off the bench. Uh, Lowry and Wendell are the future of the team in a sense. So those two are, those two kind of have the four and the five, um, kind of locked down for the most part. Uh, we'll see anything crazy happens. You know, you never know what happens, I guess. But I think for right now, the starting lineup 100% I see as, uh, Tomas Sadaransky, as you mentioned, Zach Levine, uh, Otto Porter, uh, Larry Markinen and Wendell Carter Jr. Those guys are the starting five, in my opinion, going into next season. Like Rich mentioned, the way that we kind of like to close this out is looking at it. We start with the Vegas over under, and it varied a lot for this team. The one I have is the Caesars is 30.5, and kind of they're all close to that range. But the Caesar one, I mean, that feels a little bit disrespectful, in my opinion. Like having the Hawks at six wins above that, and you're talking about maybe fighting for the playoffs. I think that there's a good chance with that. Um, so am I right in thinking that you'd probably take over on 31 and a half? I, I would take over on 31 and a half, but you know, I don't see it as that disrespect because I think the Bulls really haven't, you know, shown, uh, they won 22 games last year and uh, granted health was a factor, but still there, what, what's there to guarantee that they will be healthy next season as well? Um, I think yeah. last, 
off uh, end of the last season, they did a presser, or this past season, they did a presser, and they, you know, asked John Paxson about, uh, you know, about health concerns, and he kind of just put it all on the players, saying, well, the players need to work out at our work uh, advocate center. And granted, it's a great uh, facility. I was I had the pleasure of actually doing a tour. Um, they had invited, uh, I, I post on this message board and I'm a moderator on real GM. I'm, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of that, um, yeah. uh, message board overall, but yeah. they invited a local, like they were trying to reach out to fans, uh, as a whole, because obviously there's been kind of a lull in the city. Uh, so they're trying to do a little more, uh, fan engagement. So they asked, um, the moderators, former and present moderators of the, of the board to see if they would like to come and do a visit on the facility. And it's, it's a great facility. They have like this, uh, the kitchen where it's like a chef on staff that can bake the players any food that they want. So there's never an excuse to not eat healthy. Uh, the workout center is, is fantastic with state of the art equipment. Uh, they have like, you know, all these different, you know, ways that they can rehab, uh, kind of get a massage right after they've worked out, you know, kind of loosen up. And things like that. So there, there's some, you know, things involved where they, they can definitely take advantage of that. But they kind of just said, well, you know, the players need to work out and not use their trainers. And I think about that as where it's like, look, you, how many, how many players in this league are the great players use their own trainers? Like, does LeBron always use their own team's facilities? James Harden, does he only use his own team's facilities? I'm sure all these guys have their own trainers too that they work through, work out with. Um, I would like to hear, have him heard him say like, yeah, we're definitely looking from top to bottom. Um, obviously the players have to do their part as well, but I would like to have heard him say, hear him say like, yeah, we have to look at everything and see what we're doing wrong. And maybe there's something we can do better. So yeah, in that regards, I don't know why they would be more healthy next season. I have concerns about that. Um, I, I do see them being more, if they're healthy, they win more than 30 games. I personally have them about. 37, 38 wins, and that might be enough for the eighth spot. Um, outside of anything crazy happening, like you see Lowry or Zach or somebody just absolutely break out into this like like superstar player, um, that's hard for me to personally see at this point. Um, I can kind of see them hovering around that 37, 38 win and maybe fight for one for that last playoff spot. Yeah, and one note I'll make about the over-unders for the Bulls, I uh, put it in our notes that the line for them or the over-under for them is is all over the place. So if you are out there listening and you like to bet a little bit on on sports, uh, you can probably find a line that you like, whether it's the over or the under, because I saw lines, uh, I saw over-unders down to 27 wins for the Bulls, which wow. seems, yeah, it's a little alarming. And then I saw some up yeah. towards like 34, 35, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, if you like that over, someone you know out there, you can go find a 37 uh, over under and smash that over. But uh, aside from that, normally we ask a little bit about the future, but I think you've done a, a really good job covering that as far as thinking that they probably top out as a second round team. So we will just uh, ask you to let us know where we can listen to you and, and read uh, or where you uh, the site that you 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 moderate for Real GM. Tell us uh, where can they follow you on Twitter. Plug your stuff, please. Yeah, so our, our Twitter for our podcast is at Bulls Gold. Um, we try to do a weekly episode. This weekend we kind of took a layoff, uh, but we'll be back again next weekend with uh, with episode 49, I believe we're at. Um, so, yeah, you can follow us at Bulls Gold. I post on Real GM Bulls uh, message board under the uh, handle uh, Red Bulls 23 uh, kind of a goofy nickname, uh, name, but uh, kind of fits with uh, – uh, the team, I guess, I suppose. And then on my own personal Twitter is uh, uh, Salim at Jordan Dynasty. Uh, you can follow me on there as well. Um, one thing I will say about about this team, like I said, you know, we've talked about the over and unders, but I, it's not really surprising to see the the all these uh, over and unders as far as being so uh, weird, like 27, 30. I've seen some, um, I think uh, 30, uh, 5, 30, uh, uh, five or 39. I can't remember the, the website. I'm blanking out right now. I don't know why, but, uh, they had, I think about 37 wins. So you've kind of seen a really, uh, broad, uh, 
kind of a you know broad guess on where they, this team is. And I think it makes sense because I think you have a lot of young players that are, for the most part, unproven. They have some uh, qualities in them. They've added some decent bets. So you can see this team being anywhere. And again, you never know where what happens in some of these players' development as far as what kind of players they become next season. And if anyone really became a, a guy like us, a, a real all-star player, that also, you know, projects your team. Um, if you look at a guy like, uh, for the Pacers, for example, nobody really saw Lodipo becoming that type of player that he did, right? So that kind of projected the Pacers to be a lot better than, uh, you know, people expected them to uh, last season. Uh, not this past season, but the season uh, before. So, you know, it's, it's hard to tell for sure. But, um, you know, like I said, I'm not too surprised by some of these uh, some of these predictions that we've seen for where the Bulls record would end up being. We we really appreciate you taking the time to come on. It's funny you said your next episode's 49. This is actually 50 for us. But thank you, Salim, for coming on. And the last question for the Buddy Heel jersey giveaway is: What player between De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heel do we say? that we think has a higher potential between the two. And the last two episodes had the other two questions. We will be putting that out in a little while on our Twitter page at Kings underscore Pulse. And whoever answers the questions correctly can win a Buddy Heal jersey. Thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again in a couple days. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.